Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. I did like that uh, record Buddy did with uh, Stevie Salas and Bootsy. Um, the color code, was that? Co oh, no. Uh, no, was that it was uh, Third Eye. Hardware. Hardware, yeah. Hardware, yeah. God, yeah. I remember. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a long time. That was great. Oh, God, yeah. It was great. Really Definitely great. going for a band of gypsies type of thing on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we we had tried, uh, you know, Buddy and Billy and I at Jambi, you know, we we talked about, um, we, we tried to form a band with Chuck Rainey in the beginning from, uh, you know, the great session bass player who played on all the Aretha Franklin records and played with uh, Steely Dan and, and, and that. And we were going to do a band there and it kind of slowly, it, it quickly dissolved. And then we tried a couple of other things. But, um, you know, one of the funnest times I had playing with Buddy, oddly enough, was, uh, you know, when he when he became ill, you know, he was given like a, a time period, kind of a lifespan. You know, they kind of told him, hey, you know, this the CHF is really bad and you've got maybe five years, you know, and and that was and I was in so much denial. And I think he was, too. We were like, nah, whatever. That's not real, you know. And um, and so when it when it came to that five year mark, he had decided that he wanted to go out playing with me and Tommy Shannon from Double Trouble. And so Stevie Ray Vaughan's bass player. And so we put together a band called Band of Trouble. So being a merger of Band of Gypsies and Double Trouble. And so, um, and I, we were planning on doing an album. We had plans to do a record. Uh, Tommy and I were working diligently on trying to figure out where to record it and the material to play on it and stuff to do. And, uh, you know, uh, Buddy and I were still struggling quite a bit, you know, and so there was that part that was that was kind of hindering a lot of things. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was it was uh, I'm really, really uh, regretful that um, that never happened. However, we do have a performance that was filmed uh, and recorded. And a good friend of mine has that footage. And I'm, I've been trying to get it for, you know, 20 years, you know, since we recorded it. And um uh, so we we had some great moments with that group, and and that was a really great trio. And uh, and and Tommy loved it because he got to get funky, mm -hmm. you know. He got to he got to play outside of his normal blues. Because I mean, with Stevie Ray Vaughan, they were blues. I mean, let's face it, they were Stevie really didn't get super funky until the, his last record, 
you know, and that's what was so sad is that especially that Vaughn Brothers record was 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 really super funky. Uh, but, you know, with Tommy, that was one of the things he loved about playing with Buddy and I was that he had the ability not only to do the Band of Gypsies stuff, but like we would do Who Knows, you know, from Band of Gypsies. And then we, uh, you know, a version that we would do, we would go into Inner City Blues by Marvin Gaye and go into that riff, you know. And Tommy loved it. And he would just get this big smile on his face. And we would just vamp on that for like 15 minutes. You know, just that. that, And then and then go into Freddie's Dead by, by uh, Curtis Mayfield. Mm-hmm. And then take it back to who knows. So, um, uh, and Tommy loved that, man. He was like, dude, I don't ever get to play this stuff. It's always, you know, old blues and one, four, five and shuffle and slow blues and you know, all of that. And, uh, you know, and so it was really cool that he got the opportunity as a bass player, you know, to play, to play in that style. And it was, so it was really cool. Yeah. Hopefully they'll see the light of day at some point. I hope so, man. I hope so. I know we got, there's at least if nothing else, I'd love to see if we can get some of that audio off that footage. How old were you when uh, buddy passed? I was, um, Let's see. That was in 2008. So I was, I think I was 30. I was 30 or 30. Yeah. I think, I think I was 30 years old. Yeah. I I just turned 30. Yeah. It was drag. I, you know, and I dealt with it at the very, you know, probably see he passed in February. And so the anniversary is getting ready to come up. So, um, that summer, so probably like seven or eight months before that is when he told me it, it's finally over. And that's when I like grieved and broke down and like totally lost it talking to him, you know, him telling me um, that he, he didn't have much longer. And that's when it, you know, I had the ability with him, you know, with him there, still coherent. And I just remember sobbing and slobbering and snotting. And he, and he was still talking to me, talking like, it, okay, you need, you, you're going to be without me. You got to keep this going. You need to keep playing. Like, you know, and I was just losing it, losing it, you know, and just like, you know, totally, um, you know, in pieces. And, uh, and then I moved to New York City and he was so pissed off. He had moved, he was in Austin. I moved to New York and he was so pissed. I moved to New York. And I think a lot of that was is because I was away from him during the last days, you know, and uh, and I think that's that's why he was looking back. I think that's it wasn't so much that I had moved to New York. And I, I was always like, dude, this is where you guys did it. You know, this was you guys, you know, hood for so long. And you and you and Hendrix and, and everybody for all those years. And, and I, I don't think it was so much that it was that I was I was so far away from him at the end. And, you know, really, he was in such bad shape. It, it really was. I was in so much pain seeing him like that, you know, in the end that I really struggled with, um, you know, with that, with with seeing him so sick and uh and and just not the person that he was and that's what was so great about band of trouble was that you know playing with buddy over the years he would start off playing drums and then he would have to quickly move to the front of the stage and just be a vocalist and the stamina 
as being a drummer had had greatly diminished and it wasn't until um um you know band of trouble with tommy is that he was kicking so much ass and i'll just never forget just just literally laughing out loud like literally loling like on stage like hysterically laughing my ass off because of and i was like and still today nobody could fuck with him like i mean no other drummer and i played with a lot of great drummers and nobody i mean could could touch him when he was like at his best and on and and he wanted when he could he wanted to turn it on when he when he wanted to i know he was he was he was diminished a lot by his health issues but when he wanted to turn it on nobody could fuck with buddy miles i mean the power and just all that and then singing on top of it it was like man when he was on it was and so i just remember laughing because i i was with a lot of i did a lot of shows with buddy where he kind of was like you know and i know he had to kind of mail it in a little bit and hold it back because of his his health you know and and those things but with band of trouble man you know we did a show i think with bonamassa and rick derringer michael burks like all these great people were on the bill with us and he just came out full force swinging and i was just like Wow. I was just cracking up laughing because I was like, oh my fucking God. I was like, buddy, <laughs> you know, so that's awesome, I, I got to be with him there and he, and that's how he wanted it. You know, he wanted to go out, you know, with that band and, and kicking ass as a drummer, you know, in that band. And so uh, it was really cool. But yeah, I was, I was 30 years old and uh, I was one of the last people to talk to him on. They called me. And said, um, you know, it was the end. And I was one of the last people to talk to him on the phone. Hmm. So um, I'm, what year was that? Do you remember? Uh, 2008. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, I'm just looking at your discography as we're talking about that, trying to see where it fits into that picture. Um, how do you feel that uh, your studio recordings uh, evolved over the years? I mean, you know, I, I feel like it, it kind of come from a self-produced play. You know, like Buddy and I did the first record together, which was, you know, and he played on a bunch of that record, um, you know. And um, so that was really cool that I got to, you know, do a lot of my record with with, with Buddy playing on it um, and produce, helping me produce it. Um, and, you know, I do have that that document, you know, as a kid. I mean, God, I was like 19 years old when we were recording that, you know, so 19, 20 years old. Uh, and I'd taken a hiatus from Lucky Peterson's band and then I ended up rejoining Lucky Peterson. So that that was the gap between the first record and the second record was that I I cut that record and then went back on the road with Lucky Peterson. I went back to be his band leader. And um, so I went back as a sideman again. You know, I, I put that album out. And that's what helped me get a, a, a start in Europe um, was I cut that record with Buddy. Uh, and then, I, and then you know, printed the CDs up ourselves. Uh, we had a couple of different label deal offers and they weren't taking, you know, they weren't coming through and they weren't, weren't happening, you know, as quick as we'd like them to. So we couldn't wait. So we, it was the beginning of the internet. And a lot of people were telling me, hey, man, there's this new thing, the internet, <laughs> you know, 
and release it yourself and print it out and sell it on your website. And we thought, wow, you can do that. You know, never, you know, it was like this whole thing. So that was the beginning of that. This is, you know, pre-streaming and pre-Napster and all that stuff. And um, so what I did is I printed those albums up and then I went back on the road with Lucky and Lucky sat me down and he said, I want you to bring boxes of those CDs to Europe when we go on tour. And he goes, I want you to hand those CDs out to all the promoters in all the clubs we play at. I want you to hand those CDs out to us. You know, normally a band, an artist you play for is not going to do that for you. They want to keep you as a sideman, keep you in the back, keep you shut down and not lucky. Lucky was like, I want you to take these CDs. I want you to give them to everybody we see over there. And I gave them to his main guy and he wanted nothing to do. It was too rock, you know, for him. And he didn't want anything to do with it. He was like a blues and jazz guy. And uh, but I handed that CD to all these promoters, all these booking agents, everybody. We I did just what he told me to do. And out of all those, one guy called back, you know, and what the one guy that called back was a big person, you know, and who really opened a lot of doors for me. I um, initially went over and did uh, a, a tour, a, a writer for uh, a big metal magazine in Holland called Art Shock, which was kind of like our America's version of Hit Parade or Rip or Metal, you know, one of those those kind of magazines, actually booked my first tour and brought me over, um, you know, initially, you know, doing small clubs. And then another company saw me um, and, and, and brought me. And then that person that I had given that CD to all those years before, a couple of years before, eventually called back and knew who I was and started helping um, those companies be on, and, and people promoters and people buyers knew me because I'd handed them physically myself and went, here's my new album. Here's my record. I just recorded with buddy miles. Here it is. So that when other, when, when I started to work with people, they went, Oh yeah, we know who Lance is. That's lucky. Lucky's guitar player. So that's how, and Lucky featured me in the band. So it literally was grassroots handing out my CDs one by one and meeting the people so that when they got the call, they went, oh my God, yeah, we remember that guy. And so, you know, and then finally one promoter that I handed one of those CDs to, you know, brought me on, to, brought me on tour with Jeff Beck and Steve Vai and, you know, some really big uh, stadium tours of Whitesnake and Def Leppard and, and ZZ Top and Rock. I mean, all these big, big tours I did over there, you know. So as a progression of the record, and to answer the question, sorry, I'm going to get sidetracked on that. But the, to answer the question, uh, that early catalog, I produced myself. You know, they were all self-produced. I was a young guy in my 20s, um, you know, and I made record after record almost in succession. And kind of, um, you know, took a break from touring. Um, I was married to my first wife. I'd had some little kids at home, so I wasn't touring as much, but I was still making records. And um, so I, I began to make those records one by one. And then uh, at the end of that, by the time I was around 30 and had moved to New York, I was like, I, it, it was exhausting me, you know, because there weren't big budgets, Um to go in for months and make a record, it was like, here's a few thousand dollars. And it was literally like working around the clock, you know, and, and I, it was me and an engineer. We'd cut the band and, you know, a day, 
you know, or two. And then I was the rest of the time I'm doing overdubs, like soloing and, and singing and mixing all at the same time. Like we would cut a lead guitar track, try to mix the track. I'd cut a vocal, mix it. And then we go to the next song. So, um, they were done really quickly, um, really stressfully. Um, and then after I'd kind of, um, you know, made a, made a catalog of albums for Grooveyard Records, the early label I was on. I said, moving forward, I needed a producer, you know, and I wanted to get more into songwriting as opposed to long jams in the studio and, and just writing songs, you know, around, a, you know, for a reason to guitar, so, for a reason to solo on the guitar. I, I want to Lance, yeah. excuse me, I want to jump in because um, Higher Ground, you know, was one of those toward the end of Grooveyard. And I, actually, I think it was your last Grooveyard studio record. It was. Uh, and that was definitely a departure from what had come before. It was a little slowed down and you were doing a lot more stuff on it. And, you know, what were you thinking when you went into that one with such oh, a big change? Oh my God, that, you know, I was, I was struggling quite a bit during that time. <laughs> you know, I was... There was a lot of substance stuff going on, a lot of substance abuse. I was I was really in the in the um, in the the throes of addiction, um, and so much so the band didn't even show up. So I had to play everything. That's, that's what, what happened. Okay, so, that's what was so hilarious about the record. And you know, like I said, I'd been hanging with Prince during that era as well a lot. Um, you know, and a lot of those kind of artists and, uh, and, it, and so, um, it, and it really was my bros, Todd and Toby pipes that whose studios we've been working in. And they had that, they had that little alternative rock band called deep blue. Something had a big song called breakfast at Tiffany's. It was in all these, all these movies and all these TV commercials and, and Todd pipes was a good bro of mine. And he had, they had had a lot of success with like this big, you know, in alternative pop thing. And so he opened a studio and, um, and it was Todd pipes, God bless him that they had all their touring gear in a giant, um, in a giant closet, all their road cases. And I was defeated. I was like in the control room, all fucked up. Don Moore, bless his heart. He's like a, he's a Methodist minister. Now he was like studying to be a minister and all this shit. He, he literally had like the Bible out on the fucking console. Like, dear Lord God, you know. And I'm just like totally fucked up. You know, they're just like, oh my God. Like, and I'm like, I, fuck them, fuck them. I don't care if they don't, you know. And Todd Pipes. And then I was just like, went into this depression. And like, Don's over there praying. I'm like depressed. And Todd goes, you know what? Fuck this. And he goes and opens their their storage locker, their road case locker. And he's, and he starts pulling out drums and amps and shit. And he was like, Lance, get in, get your ass in the, in the tracking room. He's like, you're going to play everything on this record. He's like, fuck the band. I know what you can do. I know you play all the instruments. You're going to Stevie. What you want to record higher ground? Well, guess who played all the instruments on higher ground? Stevie wonder did it by himself. That's what you're about to do. And I was like, God, I don't know, man. I don't. And he was like, shut the fuck up, get on the drum kit where this is what we're doing. And that's how we did it. And it, and it was, and it was my bro, Todd pipes that he was like, we're not going to be defeated this studio. Cause I booked out a bunch of time. And he was like, we're not canceling the studio time. You've already paid for it. 
You're going to get up and you're just like, I don't give a shit if you're doing drugs, like do your drugs. Like maybe that's going to help you better. <laughs> He's like, I don't care. He's like, but we're going to get this record done. And he pulled the drums out. He pulled amps out and uh, he went home and got his like 62 P bass his, that he never took out of his house and like brought it. He's like, you're going to play bass on this. And um, so during that, the recording of that, we just went for days on end, um, you know, and, um, and, and I just remember I was tracking lead guitars on one of those, one of those songs. I think it was, um, I think it was, uh, um, um, God, I can't remember which one it was, um, or even the, any, a lot of the titles, but um it was uh, uh the second song that's a fact that's that's what it's called that's a fact i was recording guitar and there's this big tripped out heavy jam guitar solo and i'm cutting and i've got like marshall stacked i mean there was it was it was a obnoxious amount of guitar i mean there were like four marshall stacks fenders shit wired up like all the way across it was just like you know earthquake loud and um and I'm in there cutting guitars and and Todd's brother Toby, they were and they were heavily heavy. I mean, they worked with all the alternative people and they were into the Smiths and Morrissey and you know the cure and, and they knew all those guys. I mean, that was the world they lived in. You know, they were from that that alternative world. And we were all bros, and we all loved each other, and it was all good. But um, I was over there cutting tracks and I looked out of the corner of my eye and I see this chick has the door cracked and she looks like a little like the almost like that girl off that movie the ring like she's this little horror movie looking chick looking peering through the door and i was like go and stop and, I, and we stopped and she's like oh and like the door closes and then it cracks back open she's like oh i'm sorry can i come in and watch and it was um uh hope sandoval from mazzy star and the the chick from the mazzy star group who was working with todd in studio b and she comes in and sits on the couch and I'm just like, you know, ripping the, I, it looks like Scarface. It looked like a, it looked like a combination between Scarface and like Eddie Van Halen or something. I don't even know. It's like, which probably isn't too, wasn't too far off either, but it was like this just total tragic scene. And she, and she comes in and she just goes, she, she comes up and gently puts her hand on me in between takes. And she's like, she's like, Lance and I was like yeah and she was like when's the last time you ate you know and I just was like and I had to think about it and she went into the next room and she came back in with this giant pizza <laughs> you know and she was like take your guitar off come sit on the couch she opened the pizza and she's like I'm not gonna leave until you eat a slice of pizza and I was just like so here I'm choking down this pizza in front of you know hopes you know Hope Sandoval, like this total embarrassing moment. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, it's so trapped. Don's at the control board. He's still praying. <laughs> it was like, so higher ground was a trip, man. That making that record was fucking crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. So, and I listen back on it. I'm like, I don't even know. You know, it's just, it's a, it's miraculous. It came out like it did. I mean, because there was so much insanity, but, but that's what it was. Like the guys didn't show up. And so, you know, Todd pipes, pull all the instruments out and go, you're going to do it yourself. And so I was really proud of that. I thought it was really cool. But after doing that, you know, it was like, okay, the craziness has to go down to a minimum and I have to have a producer come in and rain shit in, you know? <laughs> wow. That's, 
great to hear all that backstory. Higher <laughs> yeah. ground was really slowed down on that and funky. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you had El Paso sugar on there, you know, yeah. some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It despite did, it, it did. all, despite it all. It did. It despite it all. You're right. And it did really well in overseas. And I did some great touring behind that. I mean, I toured with, you know, ZZ Top on that record. I toured with White Snake and Def Tour with Def Leppard. I mean, did soccer stadiums with those guys on that record. So, uh, you know, I was really proud that, uh, you know, not only did it, um, you know, did was there, you know, like you said, I made that record. I couldn't believe I pulled that off, especially in the in the condition that I was in, that I was able to pull it off like that. But then to also then, you know, then I, then I, you know, sobered up and like, you know, come on, wait, get, you know, get, put the shit down. Let's get, you know, let's get back to reality and, uh, you know, sobered up for a minute. And then it was like, um, you know, and then I got to go do some great touring and I, my head was clear and, and, uh, you know, um, and I went out and did some, some really brilliant touring, um, behind that record. So, you know, got to do some of the, the beginning of some of the biggest touring of my career on that record. And we touched on it earlier, but, you know, um, Eric Gale's, you know, similar kind of, you know, challenges with substances and, and all that. Um, you know, did did you guys uh, communicate or commiserate at all about that part of your lives? Oh, my God. We were hell on earth together. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But, we, but also we, when you were going through uh, rehab periods, did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. All the time all the time yeah we we struggled i mean we we as sick as we were together we we really and still today we 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 help each other uh but we you know we tried for a long time you know we were really sick uh yeah and you know i mean addiction is a disease it's an illness i mean just like cancer and diabetes you know and uh and we just we had that illness and so um and left unmaintained like if you don't maintain your diabetes. You're going to get sick. It's going to fuck you up. It's the same thing. Like with the, the maintenance of a program of recovery with your illness, with, with addiction. So, uh, you know, there were, there was lots of times that we did that. We just, we get better and I feel great again. And then we stopped maintaining the illness and then up, whoops, bang, boom, bam off again, and then back up and then back down and back up. So, you know, I think the most important thing, you know, is that we, we continue to get back up you know, and that we, we continue to help each other back up. And, and, uh, there were, there were a lot of times that Eric called me and he had fallen off. And there was a lot of times that I'd call an Eric and I had fallen off. So, you know, there was a, there was a big period of time where, you know, I, I had established a really good sobriety network. I, I kind of had a, a lot of the same going back to Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, I'd had a lot of that same circle in Dallas that he was a part of. Um, you know, and in and, and, and that whole world. Um, so I had established a really good network. And um, so a lot of times in the beginning, it was Eric calling me, uh, you know, and me continuously helping Eric. And then it, then it like swapped. Then it was me calling Eric, you know, all the time. And I was the one. So it was like, there was always those times where either I was doing real good and Eric was off or Eric was doing real good and I was off. And so the, one of the great moments is that when we got better together, you know, that's when it, that's when life was like really amazing. And we just got tired of getting our asses kicked, you know, so badly by drugs, you know, we were just, we were kicking our own ass so bad, you know, and, uh, 
So, yeah, I mean, there were literal times that, you know, I was getting him into rehab or he was getting, we, we got each other into rehab. I mean, we literally, you know, um, I got him in the last couple of times and, and then, um, you know, and then he, you know, he called me a couple of times and I, I rushed wherever he was, you know, and, and, and he rushed to come see me. So, you know, we, we really have just as we've been brothers and, and growing up together and playing guitar and music. We, we also shared that commonality in our, in our sickness and our illness of addiction and, uh, and coming out of that and helping each other and supporting each other. And we still do today. We text all in the mornings all the time and how, we check on each other and man, how, you know, cause we're both, and we're also both sufferers of chronic pain. Like I've got back, I had back surgery and Eric had foot surgery. So, you know, we both have had surgeries and that is, that is a very, very slippery slope dealing with chronic pain and pain medicine and opiates and, you know, and that whole thing. And it's caused both of us to fall off a couple of different times, you know? And um, so we, now we check on each other real diligently a lot, you know, and it's, are you, how's your back? How's your foot? Are you okay? How are you doing with your meds? Are you okay with that? You know, and, and, you know, um, you know, we know now that like, I can't handle my own meds. Like my girlfriend takes care of them for me and shit like that. I mean, there's just ways that we have to do it. And if you have to take, you know, shit and substances and, and have to, because we need them, you know, we're prescribed them at times. So um, it just, there's just all the ways that we've learned how to maintain our, our lives now and in and, and recovery and sobriety and how to, how to, uh, how to function. And, and a lot of that is, is checking on each other and making sure we're each other. Are okay. Yeah. Well, so glad to hear that. We're also grateful for that. And uh, thanks, man. I um, I'd love to see you both on a on a same bill sometime. I mean, you're just over the hills, and he's in North Carolina, where I am. You know, you guys mm -hmm. should do some shows around my neck of the woods. We need to. Maybe in the next couple of years, we will. Um, you know, we we've uh, we've we've done a lot together. You know, in the past, and it's time to start doing more. Uh, you know, so we need to do it again. I know a lot of people want to see us do a tour and we've talked about it for years. You know, we really talked about doing, and we have, we've gone to Europe together and done some really great tours over there. But I, you know, when we've done, you know, some minimal touring in the States, but we need to do an actual real good tour. So hopefully we can, we can make that happen soon. So let's uh, jump to the new record and get in a little more detail on that uh, because, you know, it's um, a triumph for sure. And it took you five years, I think, to uh, get that together. I don't know how much of that time you were actually working on it. But, um, man, great record. Um, ten Thanks, really, you know, group of ten tight songs. It's, uh, I think, like 40 minutes or so uh, in total. And Thanks, um, um, I'm going to tell you my favorites. Okay because <laughs> that's what i do right on um, man yeah um yeah easy to leave which i thought of uh one or two times when you were telling me about some of those x's that you had yeah <laughs> you know that's that's a, sl a slamming opener you know with the, some slide guitar you know out yeah. in there you know yeah um and then of course the title track um thank you again some of that funk in there with Absol the blues you know absolutely gotta have yeah. the groove yeah and that uh extended when you posted it's on youtube great mm -hmm. version of that too that was down in florida was it 
Yeah, we yeah, we had a we just did a we did a show back in the fall. We did some minimal touring in the states on it, and we did uh yeah we did a um then we we shot a video down there, and so yeah we got a nice little outro jam that we call it's always something. <laughs> That's one of my <laughs> one of my favorite sayings. Oh, and then my other one: if it's not one thing, it's another. That's my <laughs> those are my two favorite sayings. The other two that I really love, especially on the record, are. Um... Take a swing. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, really aggressive blues rock. And um, and then the closer is epic, you know? It's kind of like a Zep-ish kind of builder, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. I Thank you, Scott. And it's funny because the, the opening and the closer were the first two songs I wrote when I moved to Nashville. Um, you know, I had I came here again, yeah, as a, another another divorce, another, you know, you know, situation gone bad. And, uh, you know, I had a lot to write about, you know, again, another, another one of those veer offs from recovery. And I had to get, you know, that was one of the reasons of coming to Nashville and to refocus on my wellness and kind of a geographical, you know, thing to get in a different place in a different area and get some different surroundings and, you know, start getting better again. And, um, when I came here, uh, yeah, I began to write, in open tunings and i was listening to a lot of uh a lot of blind willie mctell and a lot of the piedmont guys especially blind willie mctell i was listening to a lot of blind willie mctell and um you know songs like stomp down rider and and uh and broke down engine blues and scary day blues and and all that real great you know uh, uh come up come around to my house all that old blind willie mctell 12 string shit he was playing all this crazy stuff and so um, that's kind of like that middle section is where it came from. And so I was really listening to a lot of Blind Willie McTell and um, and also a lot of world music. I was listening to a lot of Arlie Farkaturi, um, a lot of Ustad Ali Khan and, and Rahim Al-Haj, like a lot of Middle Eastern stuff like with ouds and and, uh, you know, a lot of the African musicians and musicians of the Orient. Because, you know, part of that maintenance of the addiction and the spirit is the spirituality stuff and the meditation. And so that's a lot of music I would put on while I would try to get into a meditative state to kind of, you know, get into that spiritual zone. And um, so it began to infuse. <laughs> I'm listening to Blind Willie McTell and then I'm listening to, you know, uh, Ali Farkaturi, you know, and so uh, and then writing a song about the blues. And then it was just writing about the shit again, the shit I've been going through, man, all the divorce, the, you know, again, here we go with another veer off with the addiction and, you know, all the bullshit, just writing about all the stuff. And so easy to leave was about, you know, it was about that, that whole situation, another this marriage ending, you know, and shit being so bad, you finally have had enough. And it could go, it could go for a lot of different things, man, a job, a marriage, a, you know, relationship, anything, a band, whatever, whatever, you know, whenever you're sick of putting up with enough shit, you know, it's like that kind of song. So it needed a real heavy, you know, kind of a riff like that. And I was real glad to have uh, the great John Hummel play drums on a lot of this stuff. Uh, John played with Lady Gaga early on. And he was referred by the great Brian Titchy, you know, who throws the big John Bonham party in L.A. every year. And uh, at NAM, and you are used to, you used to have the NAM, uh, the Bonzo Bash. 
And so uh, Brian Titchy was one of Brian Titchy's close friends. And so, um, you know, and when they first had mentioned Hummel and playing with Lady Gaga, I thought he was going to be this real tight pop guy, you know, and I thought, oh, man, no. And then when I heard him play, I went, absolutely, he needs to play on the record. So, and then Jurgen Carlson from Government Mule, formerly of Government Mule, uh, who just recently left Mule, playing bass on um, on the track was was just incredible. So to have that combination of John Hummel with Jurgen Carlson was just perfect, uh, perfect marriage of 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 players to play on it. And then yeah, and then I'm just trying to adapt, you know, the blind Willie McTell and all the heavy stuff in the slide guitar playing. Trouble is good is almost the same thing. It was developing a, a grooving riff, you know, coming back like from the early days. I wanted to write a song that was reminiscent of all those records that we had just been talking about from my early days of, of youth, like all those heavy riffage and all that, that funk groovy, heavy riffs. And, and, uh, you know, because I talked to so many young guitar players in Nashville that love those records, you know, uh, Guys like Tyler Bryant and Jared James Nichols, you know, <clears throat> they're coming up now in the ranks of, of blues rock. Uh, grew up with those records and and in other other you know a lot of these side guys that play with these big country artists that are between the age of thirty and thirty five now grew up with those albums and so they loved them. So I thought, you know, all these great young guitar players that are out on the road now, you know, playing with big artists and that are now have careers themselves, tell me how much they love those records. I was like, I need to go back and do something and they would tell me they would ask me that dude you need to do another record like that or do another song you know and so trouble is good kind of came out of you know that that idea that inspiration of let's go back and write something uh, very similar and then you know to get away from playing just the standard ripping shredding guitar solo i wanted to add a heart in there a heart player and to really encompass the hard timiness of what, you know, COVID and the blues and all that was about, because that was all that whole era of not only had I stumbled and fallen again and was trying to get back up, but as I was standing back up, bam, here came COVID. Yeah, I was like, shit. <laughs> so I was like, you know, so I really wanted to get, you know, some low down stuff. So that was the whole thing of the chain gang intro and then the, the 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 deep heavy blues of the of the of the outro, and then live, yeah, it's just that getting we do that. It's always something at the end to really get that aggression out, you know, just that getting all that shit out. Um, like we talked about earlier, what Eric was talking about, pain, you know, it's like getting that out, you know. Um, and then, you know, take a swing was really another one that was about like just going through adversity, hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. And and getting back up from the addiction, you know, and getting back up from the other stuff. And it was just like, man, keep getting up and keep keep fighting. You know, it was all about keep fighting. Don't stay down. If you fall down, get back up. You know, don't let it don't let the disease knock you down. You know, keep getting back up. And it was like, you know, um, and that that's really what a lot of it is, is a big stance on on that. And it was, a, and then, you know, that was a tribute to Leslie West. He had just passed away as well as. Uh, you know, we definitely wanted to have something in the new rock genre. So it was like I was listening a lot to Wolfgang Van Halen's new record or his, the, whatever record he put out at that time. I think it was his first one. And I was really proud about that, you know, that 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 Mammoth album came out. And uh, 
so that was another thing. Wanted to kind of write a song that was in in the vein of of uh, you know in, in tribute to that too, uh, to kind of Wolfgang Van Halen making his debut and coming out. So um, and then Voyager again, like I said, that that sat around for a long time, and uh, I had read uh, I'd been reading this book. A friend of mine gave me this book called The Law of One, which was you know into you know, and I'm an ancient astronaut theorist. I've been friends with all those ancient alien guys since the 90s and uh you know and so i was into, into all that kind of heavy shit so i was reading this thing about raw and these people this girl was like communicating with telepathically with him so it was kind of a fun i wanted to write some a departure from just your standardized here's me playing another fucking guitar solo and <laughs> another big heavy rock song i wanted to do something really cool and also the middle the middle part of the song being the voyager is like following the spiritual light and having that northern that north star and and following you know having that you know god or whatever you want to call it and being able to follow that higher power and that really is is a is a uh, is a is a is a testament to that and and also too uh, and reading that that law of one book was really cool because he was like a messenger from God or whatever. And he was like, apparently came down in the Egyptian times and, and saw that humans were so fucked up. They went, we're going back to outer space. We can't, <laughs> we're, not, we're not dealing with you guys anymore. And so it was really cool. So I, anyway, I, I wanted to write something that was like all those records we grew up with, like Zeppelin and, and yes, and rush and all the prog bands and, you know, all those British rock brands that, that read like, heavy books and wrote songs about them. It's like, nobody does that shit anymore. It's either sad, depressing music, or it's like, look at me, look at me, how cool I am. You know, there's nothing like heavy and esoteric or progressive anymore. Like those bands used to be. So I also wanted to pay tribute to that as well as to guitar heroes of mine that really weren't. And I like the Zeppelin reference because yeah, the, the, the definitely has that feel. But the lead guitar stuff, I definitely was copying a lot of Richie Blackmore, you know, and I feel like a lot of people don't talk enough about Richie Blackmore and his influence. And uh, and I really wanted to really give a night. And then that was the other side of it. I had Bobby Rondinelli play drums on it, who also played on Trouble is Good. And Bobby replaced Cozy Powell in a rainbow with Richie Blackmore. So and then like and if Cozy Powell had still been alive, I would probably been trying to get Cozy Powell to play on it. Because I, I loved all those Rainbow records when Ronnie James Dio was singing in Rainbow. And Bobby uh, Bobby was not only in, um, he was in Rainbow with Richie Blackmore, he was also in Black Sabbath in the mid-90s before they reunited with Ozzy, right? Just right before they, they got back together with Ozzy. So it was really, you know, such an honor to have a drummer that had been both Rainbow and Black Sabbath on the record. So I wanted to do something that paid tribute more to those guys. And and then the ending, you know, the I am raw thing with raw flying back into outer space after he was like, fuck you guys. <laughs> I was like, he's going away is uh, was a tribute to Jeff Beck because Jeff had just passed. So there's a lot of the, you know, the, the tremolo guitar stuff. So again, it, it, it was a departure of like, you know, man, Scott, it's not about like, I'm, I'm trying to follow this mold or that mold. It's about like, I'm, writing music that that's here in recording it, you know, and maybe it doesn't do as well as some other records. It's not on the blues rock charts with, you know, all these, all my contemporaries and other people, but 
it's shit that means something to me that that's honest, you know, that's real and not me going, I'm going to make a record like Joe Bonamassa. You know, it's me going, I want to make a record that that's coming from here well, and that's honest. And it's, it's stuff I'm going through and things I'm reading. Well, it resonates with people like me that appreciate awesome. that, you know, and, Thanks, and love, love some of the raw edge always in there, yeah. you know? Um, Thanks Scott. Uh, some of the other stuff I heard in there, maybe uh, you can let me know if I'm on the mark or not. Uh, Wild Country, like when the levee breaks, kind of a drum beat. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Brian Titchy. Yeah. It's the great Brian Titchy. Uh, you know, you got to love Brian. I mean, you know, Brian Brian came in there and put that intro on there. And because uh, we just had it, the song starting, you know, straight away into the song. And uh, and Brian put that drum intro. And so lot now live we extended even more, you know, and, and it's, and it's a good extender piece, uh, segue for the show. Um, but yeah, no, that was Brian Titchy. And, you know, he's, he's pretty much like the John Bonham historian, you know, he's like the guy that really is the, is the authority on all things Bonham. And so it was an honor to have him, you know, he played with Ozzy. He was with white snake. He was with, um, foreigner, um, that early band pride and glory with Zach wild, um, you know, so much great shit, uh, Brian Titchy has done. Uh, but yeah, especially, and, you know, I saw him play with Ozzy, you know, and so, uh, it was such an honor to have, um, Brian play on the record and, um, you know, and, and so for him to come up with that, that kind of a feel is, is, uh, is definitely, a uh, you know, it's such a Brian Titchy thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's like a callback, but it, then it, it goes into its own thing for sure. Um, Absolutely, and, and it's like the kind of tune that's great for like open highway, you know, kind of vibe, you know. Absolutely, I mean, you know, yeah. it's it's like it's America, <laughs> but you know, it's like getting on your bike and riding off into the sun. And it's again, yeah. it's like I don't give a fuck, man. I'm going to do what I want. It's you know, being an American, like that's what we, you know, that's what that's what. You know, this country was founded on is is you know is that kind of shit and like being free and and following you know doing what you want to do and following your hopes and dreams and being your own person and that's what it's about that's what wild country is about you know not fitting into any kind of mold and being being your own person and reborn i feel a little bit of like a aerosmith or joe perry kind of you know get your wings era kind of vibe yeah Wow. Wow. I, you know, and it definitely that, you know, and that's interesting because that, you know, this is like a total drummer record, a drummer record, but it's, and that was Herman Matthews plays with Stevie wonder and tower power. Uh, and I don't know, God, Herman's just, you know, he's done so many other great records, but you know, he's, he's with Stevie wonder for years and for him, it's an interesting shuffle uh, piece, but yeah, that's interesting you would make that 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 reference uh because i you know it was definitely for me it was sounding a lot like 60s pop you know it was like this whole cream kind of meets that cheap trick meets aerosmith yeah it, it turned into this this thing that i originally was thinking like when i first heard the song when joey sykes played it for me i was thinking like man this sounds like very yard birds or you know some kind of you know 60s band you know the birds or some kind of 60s thing and uh or cream when they would try to play a pop tune but um 
you know, and I was channeling a lot of, you know, trying to channel a lot of Leslie West type of tones and a fuzz tone and real creamy kind of sounds. But that's really cool that you would make that reference because, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, how I mean, Aerosmith was completely embedded into my DNA. I had the, you know, the the, the great fortune and good opportunity to become close with uh, the Whitfords and teach both Harrison and Graham Whitford, you know, Brad Whitford's son's guitar uh, and have them play with me when they were kids. You know, they'd come out on stage and and play and uh, super talented kids. And, and um, you know, it's so good to see them so successful now and, and to have such a such an honor to, you know, to, to be able to be a guitar instructor and, and to work with Brad's kids and and all the Aerosmith. You know, it seems like I'm friends with all their kids, <laughs> you know, all their band members all their kids. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you, you made that reference because yeah, they, they are a big, uh, big part of, uh, and Buck Johnson, who's their keyboard player actually played on half the, half the album anyway. So, you know, there, there's that, that whole connection to it. I can, how could I forget Buck? I mean, he's on all, the whole record. So. Well, congratulations on it. I hope it continues to do well for you. And I hope Thanks, I get a man. chance to see some of it live. I've, I've seen clips, but yeah. Um, before I let you go, what, uh, three tracks, uh, that you've done, would you say you're most proud of and why? Oh my gosh. Um, or you don't have, it doesn't have to be exactly three. It could be two, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, um, one of the big, you know, of course the, the, you know, El Paso sugar, of course, I mean, you know, that being one of the staples of my career that did very well for me, um, you know, uh, and I love the new album. I mean, I, you know, Voyager was great. I mean, I feel like that was one of the pinnacle moments of, of my career in writing and, and recording and, and capturing that idea live. Um, and there's there's a lot of great moments, uh, you know, and, um, you know, Salvation from Sundown was great. That was another great one from that era. But, uh, you know, um, you know, there's just it's that that's that's a tough one scott i'd have to I'd yeah have to I, get back I, to I, you, I, I didn't uh name salvation uh sundown by i didn't call it out but man you are just blistering on that one you're killing oh well, thank you thank yeah. you man yeah no and yeah. that 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 and it really it, it changed live too it really gets into a very spiritual thing live it really had a, a lot of meaning in that but uh but it, it really evolved live into a whole different thing. But um, no, I, you know, a lot of the new the new record, man. I mean, I just think that like Trouble is Good, the t like those songs you'd mentioned, man. I think those are some of, you know, my the best moments of my career. Well, I'm glad I picked good ones. What, what would yeah. be your, uh, uh, I like to ask a lot of guests this, uh, Lance, and that is if you uh, can only have five albums, can't be any of yours, on a desert island, what five might they be? Man, first, a band of gypsies, you know, Jimi Hendrix, band of gypsies, cream, probably wheels of fire or Disraeli gears, kind of a, a toss it between one of those two band of gypsies, probably Disraeli gears. I don't know. It's hard. Krill, wheels of fire. I don't even know. That's, that's a real, that's a real tough one. Um, what is that? Two, uh, three would probably have to be, um, you know, God, man, there's so many. I'd have to have, a, you know, the, the the next three would have to be blues records, and I have to have a jazz record in there somehow. But definitely, probably years gone by by Albert King, Burglar by Freddie King, and um, you know, um, God, I don't know, probably BB King live at the Regal. All right, 
guitar <laughs> records, man. I'm a guitar player. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. Who, well, but, speaking uh, speaking of that, um, I think you probably touched on already with some of the things you referenced, but is there anybody else that you're a fan of that might surprise people who know you from, you know, your records? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, as far as like outside the genre. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I, you know, I love, I love all kinds of music. Um, you know, lately I've been listening to a lot of world music. Um, you know, I've been, I've been really into a lot of, a lot of world artists and, uh, but I don't know. It's shocking. Um, uh, you know, wise, I don't know. I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm a big Anushka Shankar fan. You know, I love, I love sitar music. Uh, you know, a Tanari win because it was a West African band. That's a, that's another one that, um, you know, got turned on to recently that that's, that's really cool stuff, but, uh, to, to kind of come out of left field, man, I don't know how shocking it would be, but, you know, I just, I listen to a lot of world artists, you know, I think that's the thing that, um, I think that's kind of maybe out of the norm for a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, you know, guitar shredders and guitar guys and guys from the guitar thing. Um, I listen to a lot of instruments other than guitar players, you know, um, and that that being that of of like Rahim, which is like we talk about Voyager, um, you know, Rahim Al Haj is an is a you know a Persian musician that that really uh, that's an oud player, which is why I've, I've actually played an oud at the at the intro of the track and was really into his music. So I'm you know trying to translate a lot of that um, that music into you know what it is that I do. Mm -hmm. Well, how can uh people keep up with you and know when you're playing where and all that good man stuff. we're right now we're kind of on the we're on the social media you know the lance at lance lopez guitarist on instagram uh please give us a like tell everybody to give us a like follow us um you know follow us on instagram like us on facebook it's at lance lopez band and um I think I think the Facebook page is Lance Lopez TX. I can't remember, but yeah, follow the social medias. That's where I'm there the most active, you know. And I, I I do interact. I love hearing from everybody. I love talking with everybody. You know, I love staying in touch with everybody. It, it kind of uh, I know it's kind of impersonal, but it does allow me a, a, a much more personal connection to everybody that's listening to the music. So I love to interact with you know with everybody. So that's the best way to keep up with me: Instagram and Facebook. I know you got the Buddy Miles tribute coming up. Um, we have the Buddy. And so I've got, you know, I'm in another band. I've got a side band called Two Wolf with Greg T. Walker from Blackfoot and a couple other good buddies of ours, Chris Bell and Rusty Valentine. We're going out on the Rock Legends cruise the end of February um, with Sammy Hagar and Billy Gibbons, Brett Michaels and those guys. And then when I get back from that, we're doing the Buddy Miles for the love of Buddy Miles, March 1st uh, at the Michael A. Guido uh, Theater at the Henry Ford Museum at the community center there in Dearborn, Michigan. Uh, and so I'm really excited about that. A, a great collection of, of artists, uh, Dennis Chambers, you know, Norwood Fisher from Fishbone, Peter Keys from Skinner, uh, you know, Jimmy McCarty from, you know, Cactus and Mitch Ryder. I mean, all these, you know, all these great bands, I mean, I mean great artists, you know, coming together and playing. So it, it ought to be a pretty serious show. Now, gear-wise, you kind of were a big Strat guy early on, but you moved away from that. Um, yeah, I did. I, you know, I did. I did move away from the Strat. I, um, um, 
you know, I, I, I still do play fenders, but you know, I, I, I got an indoor, I've been with Gibson now off and on since 2010. I went to PRS and music band for a couple of years in between. And then I came back to Gibson, uh, it's been a whole decade now. So I've been back at Gibson since 2014. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, I've, I've been a Gibson artist since then. So, you know, a lot of that just, it started to transition out of those last kind of groove yard records. And then when I started recording, you know, like El Pat higher ground, I began to experiment with a lot of other guitars, uh, you know, that being Gibson's and, and, and going into that world on that record and it translated well. And then touring was easy top on that record. Um, it was it was Gibbons that kind of influenced me to, you know, he would listen to me night after night play a strat. I, I was playing both live. I'd play part of the show with the Strat and part of the show with the Gibson, and and Gibbons would say, "Man, I like you better playing the Gibbons. You just it's more." And so you know, and and then I had a conversation with Jeff Beck, who was a Strat guy, but then was saying, "Man, you know, back in a, if I was back in a power trio, I'd be playing a Les Paul again." And I thought, "What?" <laughs> you know, I was like. Coming from Jeff Beck, I was I was like totally blown away by that. So that that kind of then you know was it was a, there was there were several you know variables that kind of led me to go back to the Gibsons, and so that's why I love my Firebird. Uh, you know, working with Johnny Winter, uh, it was Johnny that had me go pick up his Firebirds, and so I I feel like with a Firebird I can get kind of the best of both worlds with the mini humbuckers. It, it kind of I can kind of get a little stratty sometimes in there with it. And it kind of gives me some of that feel, but then yet I retain a lot of the the thickness and the bite of a Gibson. So um, at times I can kind of get it pretty close with a Firebird. You know, I you know I'll forever you know bow at the feet of those great Strat masters, and you know continue. And I still own you know Strats and still play them, and I'll bring them out every now and then and play them. You know, for a couple of songs. You know, I don't I don't totally. St- 100% stay away from the Stratocaster. Um, but, you know, being that I have a deal with Gibson, you know, and being in it, I, I try to honor my endorsement as best I can, you know. Well, I've got Gibson and Fender in this house. So, yeah. Awesome. They coexist. Do the best, man. That's it. The best, the, the best. Yeah. I hope we don't have to wait five years for the next record. No, I'm trying to I'm trying to make plans to do another one uh, ASAP. So hopefully here in the next uh, the next little while we'll have one out pretty you know hopefully sooner than later. You know, that's what I like. That's to the hope. So I'm yeah. I'm going to start start working on it as soon as I can. So yeah, no no five year wait. I mean you know COVID put a damper on everything. You know I took a little break. Really, I mean it, it really would have been three years. I mean I've, everybody's told me that you got to you got to you got to subtract two years don't count because of COVID. (laughs) It's like, that's off the table, you know? So it's that COVID thing, man, put a damper on a lot of shit. (laughs) I I didn't care. I caught it for the first time just in September. I had gone all that time without. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had it four or five times. (laughs) Wow. Kicked my ass every time. Yeah. It's kicked my ass. Well, it kicked my ass that time. Yeah. Sorry, uh, man. I know it sucks. It did suck, but. Yeah, but hey, man, stay healthy. Thanks, Scott. Take you care too, of yourself man. and and keep 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 going, man. We're gonna try. We're gonna, we're doing the best we can. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder. 
you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.